I'm glad to see you here. Um, any question for me uh, on the last class? Today we're going to start a new topic. First, do you do you hear me? I think you do. Do you hear me? Thank you. Okay. Very good. So. Um, Let's start today a new class, um, and uh, we, uh, we 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 start now. Uh, we follow the Torah narrative uh, of the Book of Genesis, and we start with the idolatry. When we uh, chapter one, who created the world. We learn the name of Hashem, Elohim, Hashem. We created. We learn about the sixth day of creation, the Sabbath, uh, the everything that related to idolatry. How uh, how human, how man was made to to stand idolatry. So all that is chapter one, and then uh, we learn. We moved on to chapter two which is uh, focusing on, on adultery. That's the only two commandments they had in Eden, adultery and uh, idolatry. Uh, and they messed up with, uh, with those two, the only two they had, as Rashi says, one or two they had. Um, and uh, they were thrown, thrown out of Eden to live on earth. Now on earth, uh, they have to abide now by all the six commandments because now there is a death, there is private ownership and so on so now they have to to comply with all the six and we said that uh, uh, as interestingly as soon as they fall down to earth uh, they uh, stumble upon the number three now they were very careful not to violate number one and number two Adam and Eve children but, uh, they, but while sacrificing, offering to Hashem, with was full of love and jealousy to Hashem, well, they stood up and they killed. Kind, killy, able. So, so that's uh, stumbling over three. Number three, and then we saw that uh, this uh, fa fascination or, 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 of, of, uh, or violation of bloodshed uh, was the climb, what the that was that combined with theft. This actually brought down the the, the flood, Hamas. So, but no fascination was uh, about number three. And remember, the whole the whole rainbow covenant is predicated on number three. It's a correction. It's enforcement of number three. Uh, do, uh, uh, do not shed blood. And um, we say that actually number seven, uh, do not eat blood, uh, do not cut uh, a limb from an animal, and number seven actually is on the enforcement of number three, because this was, was this, this is the issue that was on Noah's mind more than anything else. We discuss it at length. Now the Torah continues after the Rainbow Covenant, and we moved uh, to, to the next one, as if your humanity is kind of programmed to move, uh, to stumble from one, one, one uh, 
one commandment to the next one. Now we're full with, with, the, with the bloodshed, and lo and behold, uh, uh, the number four, number four now stand up as a major issue, which is now theft. Now theft, with all this form, different form of theft, is going to be occupy our mind throughout the story of, 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 of the Babylonian Tower, today class about the uh, uh, violation of Noah's uh, dignity, and, uh, and, you know, and then we, until Abraham, you cannot, it will all be only be corrected by Abraham. So the whole, the next few classes that we will have, from Noah to Abraham, including the Song of Gemara, including the Biding in Isaac, all that is under, under this uh, uh, theft uh, issue. And once we are through with theft, uh, you, you can guess now humanity is going to stumble over injustice, which is now the story of Jacob and so on. So the whole book of Genesis is actually moving from, from, from one commandment to the next one. And you will see in a minute what, what I mean by that, as we start, start today talking about theft. Now, Let's put, uh, I put here some basic issues about uh, theft that all of them are going to play a major role in our story today. So what is theft? What, are, what do we mean by, by theft? Theft, first of all, in order to, 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 uh, to theft to exist, you should recognize the, 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 legitimacy, the, the, the legitimacy of, of private ownership. So there is no theft if there is no private ownership. You know, if you live in a community, in a, in a, in a communist uh, community where there is no private, uh, so everybody can steal from anybody else because nobody owns anything. But the recognition of private ownership is a basic, uh, uh, basic uh, predicament for, for, for theft. That's the foundation of, of theft. You cannot, the whole concept of theft is the existence of ownership and recognize it and respecting it. Here comes the issue of respect, sir. If I say sir, Adon in Hebrew, Adon, master. Sir, I recognize your existence, I recognize your ownership, you own your body, you own your, your, your clothes, you own your community. You know, communists, the communists uh, call each other a, 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 a comrade, they will never call him sir. Comrade is this, is like, you know, actually, he doesn't respect the, the next day, uh, you can love baby, you love your comrades, so to speak, you know, I, I guess in communists don't necessarily love each other, but the Torah doesn't want you to, you, yeah, you love your neighbor, uh, that's a different issue, uh, like you love yourself, which means you respect your, your neighbor property as you respect your own property, so the Torah respect ownership and dignity of a person to own and to hold his ownership is stealing is violation of that basic pre premises, basic right of a person to own and to be respected and to other to recognize this ownership. 
That sounds like a trivial thing, but you see, this is not so trivial. People don't think about it. Here the Torah, you will see in a minute, the Torah, uh, uh, our stories, you cannot understand the following story if you don't, if you don't pay attention to those issues the Torah is now bring up. So on one hand, the Torah said, it says, thou shalt not steal, uh, th that's a negative side, but on the, on the positive side means you should respect other. In the Ten Commandments, one is opposed, opposed the, uh, to the other. You know, on one hand he says, do not cover, do not steal. On the other said, respect, respect your father and mother, and respect the other too. So respect and dignity and ownership come together. Now, let's, before we go into detail what, uh, what theft is, we need to understand what ownership is. So how do you acquire ownership? It's very simple. I just put a few, few things that are going to play a role in our story. That's why I put it here. So, uh, ownership of the land, we can distinguish between ownership of the land or movable goods or, or other things. Like, say, let's say, how do you own the land, real estate? So you acquire it by possession. You in the Wild West, you know, when the West was discovered, so the uh, pioneers or uh, moved, and they each one grabbed a piece of land, and this was his, his land forever. You possess a land, nobody could, without con nobody contesting that, and you use it, and you prove that it, it's your own because you use it, you farm it. Once you, you once you possess it and you farm it for three years, according to the Jewish law, that's yours. And or you put a fence, you build a house on that, that's yours. Nobody will contest it. Unless somebody come and say, no, it belonged to me earlier. I did it before you. So a possession of land is by farming and by building. How do we acquire tangible assets like movable goods? Here we, here we need to produce them. So the, or the artist or the maker, the one who produces them, he, uh, he owns it by the right by the right of the artist, or by the right of the maker. All these issues are going to play enormous role in a time of Abraham face. You will see later on. It's going to be, you cannot understand Abraham uh, without understanding those issues. And of course you can transfer ownership by purchasing. You can do it uh, by transfer ownership uh, of land, you can uh, transfer ownership of good, of movable good, by money. Here comes the, the role of money, or just transaction, other form of transactions. You, ownership is transferable. And here comes the trade. And the right of a trader to make a profit out of the trade. It's also right of, uh, to do that. It's a, it's a form, recognized form of, of, of uh, making livelihood from. So here are so ownership. Uh, we talk about general ownership. Of course, the Talmud the divide uh, dedicates several tracts just for those issues. You can spend years studying those issues in detail. This is only the headline here that relates to our stories. You will see in a minute. 
And we said that we also need to distinguish several layers of theft, several levels. You know, you can you can steal of tangible money and, and uh, you can steal real estate by going there and and uh, and possessing it by uh, without if you, if you do it without contest for three years it's yours uh, and the robbery is a is, is theft by force using force it's a stronger form of theft and even a stronger sto a more harsher form of stealing in and theft is abduction of human being. So you violate the freedom of a person, you violate the dignity of a person uh, by making him, by stealing him, by, by abducting him, and here comes the notion of slavery. That's the highest form of the indignity and abduction. Now, by the way, uh, when in the Ten Commandments it says, "Do not steal," thou shalt not steal. Well, Ten Commandments is gonna add on Noah. So the, uh, the what Moses did there on the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not steal," it actually means that shall not abduct. Do not abduct. And but abduction uh, is also a form of stealing. And. Um, doesn't mean that uh, Noah didn't recognize abduction as a sin, but it was more coined as a, a in, in the tablets as, as a specific law by Moses. All right, so this was like introduction to the concept of the story of today. So let's read, and we are moving now from the rainbow, from the bloodshed to, to after the rainbow after the flood, and, and I'm just waiting for you to put here the, the, the verses, and this is now chapter 8, you can open your own Bible if you want, chapter 8, uh, verses, no, I think it's chapter 9, I'm sorry, after the flood, chapter 9, verse 18, and it says, uh, and the son of Noah that went out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Yefet. Three sons. And Ham was a father of Canaan. So the Torah go out of the way to tell us that Ham was the father of Canaan. Now the Torah continue. These are the three sons of Noah and of them was the whole earth overspread. Uh, I just copy this uh, English translation. Uh, that's true, that's a good translation. So these are the, from them, from those three, the entire earth was covered by human beings. We will, we will come back to those verses. Now let's continue first reading the story from a bird point of view. From bird fly, you know, up, just to read its story and then we'll discuss, discuss the, uh, the, the verses in detail. And it says, and now the Torah now come back to Noah and says, and Noah the man of the ground, this is how they call him, began 
and he planted the vineyard. You see, he began, and he planted the vineyard. So that two, two, two different things. He began something, he doesn't say what, and he also planted the vineyard. And he drank the wine, he drank all the wine, and he was drunk. And he was uncovered, which means naked, um, and all over. That's another, the word Vaidgal actually is both uncovered himself, but also all over the ground. Within her tent is interesting. It's his tent and her tents. It's written her and you read it his. But it's written as if it's her hand, tent, his wife's tent. His wife is Nama. And Haman, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. And he told his two brothers outside. And Shaman Yefet took the garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of the father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father nakedness. You see how the Torah repeat and go over that again and again. They went backward and they, they put the, the, the garment on his body and the Torah says emphasized they did not see their father nakedness in his indignity. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Who is his youngest son? And he said, Cursed be Canaan. Canaan was a grandson. A slave of a slave shall he be to his brother. So why is he cursing Canaan? Uh, where he, he, as earlier he says his youngest son had done to him. And he said, Curse be Canaan, a slave of a slave shall he be to his brothers. And he said, Bless is uh, Hashem Elohim of Shem, and Canaan shall be his slave, means Shem's slave. And he continued, Let Elohim beautify Yefet, and let him dwell in the tent of Shem. And let Canaan be a slave to him, to Yefet. Then the Torah says, And Noah lived after the flood 300 years and 50 years, and all the day of Noah were 90, 950 years, and he died. And then he continued now, now next chapter, and these are the generation of son of Noah, and he counted the seventeen nations. Well, it's such a short, short story, few verses. People don't pay attention to it; they read it kind of lightheadedly. They don't know what's the issue and how important this issue, the, the story, is here. Let's read, let's say first, kind of let's go back and see. Uh, what we are talking about, and read it carefully, verse by verse. Remember, we are talking about the Rainbow Covenant. After the Rainbow Covenant, just to remind you, the new heavenly court came. Uh, we're not going to speak about that too long. Just to remind you that Hashem shined now more in the world than ever before. 
Elohim was less harsh than ever before and uh, Hashem dwell on Mount Moriah. This is a ray of light that came down to earth and it's shining now on Mount Moriah and for Mount Moriah it's going to spread to dwell in all human hearts, the Shekhinah. So Hashem is everywhere, every human being carries it, but it should be spread from, 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 from Mount Moriah. So the question is now, who among Noah's children will inherit or be honored to host Hashem and Mount Moriah to dwell? Who among those children, Shem or Hamon Yefet, will be the one who will be honored to carry this Hashem? Of course, uh, uh, all the children of Noah deserve the Hashem in their heart, but somebody has to spread the light. So who is that one going to be? And who will own, so to speak, Mount Moriah? Uh, let me put a note here that uh, uh, in my previous uh, uh, classes several years ago somebody asked me, wondered about it and I, I can emphasize, you know, we are about to read a failure story of Noah. It's not just a good, nice story. So why do we read it? Why should we know about Noah's failure? Well, first of all, the Bnei Noah as a, as a movement, you know, we don't follow Noah because he's perfect or because we adore Noah. Noah only symbolizes the way to Hashem, but it's not that we adore Noah. Noah is a human being, is not perfect. You know, other religions, like uh, our brothers in the, let's speak Arabic, uh, they, in, their prophet is perfect. Everything, every, every actually so perfect, there is a vast literature that they attribute to him every nice, every nice uh, proverb or any nice story in the world, the prophet did it, the prophet said it. In fact, one of the accusations of, of them about the, the Jewish Torah is that uh, how can you describe Ju Judah going to, uh, to a prostitute? and King David doing all kind of awful things. So you distort the Torah, because the Torah is the Torah, you describe it is not perfect. Well, we, the, our Jewish answer is, on the contrary. Noah was not perfect, and Judah, the son of Jacob, was also not perfect, and David, Moses was not perfect. He sinned too. David and Solomon are not perfect, because they were real people. Angels are perfect, not human beings. So let's start again and we read the, after that note. So the, the fact that Noah is described here in such a derogatory term, so to speak. We see it's not derogatory at all, but for the untrained eye it looks like as if he's drunk, uh, violated on the ground and so on. <coughs> what a story. Uh, well, a uh, human being. That's the beauty of the Torah. The Torah speaks about uh, what, what, what are we, if not the uh, same thing. Each one of us is, is, is a human being with failure and, and victories. And we fight all our life. We are not angels. So let's read it again. We started with this verse, And the son of Noah that went out of the ark, where Shem, Ham, and Yefet, three complete names, so they were righteous, they were 
there was peace among them. And Ham was the father of Canaan. So here, why the Torah come out and said something about Canaan, singling out, because he's going to be the hero of the story. Uh, and the Torah says, these are the three sons of Noah, and from them was the whole earth uh, overspread. Indeed, um, they spread over the entire world. Yefet uh, is the father of 14 nations. That's uh, chapter 10. Uh, the next chapter, count them all. Indo-European nation, 14 of them. Ham is the father of 30 names, which are occupying, all occupying, traditionally they occupy the Central Asia, uh, where today is Iraq and, and, um, and, and part of the Caspian Mountain in, in Afghanistan, and down to entire Africa. This is a, including Egypt, including Canaan. So Ham was huge. Thirty nations came out of him. Shem was a moderate. He had the twenty nations that occupied in territory was not big. It was only the Middle East, basically. But it was, there was a time that Shem actually erected a big empires like the Assyrian Empire and Babylonian Empire and our Aramaic uh, Empire but uh, each one of those nations or uh, son each one of the son became a father of total of 70 Noahide nations alright so this is our, our website our, our virtual yeshiva of Noahide nation all come from this uh, family of nation. It means that all, each nation. It means that uh, every people on earth now can can actually go back and find if he, if he wants where he come from. It doesn't matter anymore today so much because we are intermingled. But basically, uh, in history, these are the three major uh, uh, culture that evolved on earth. And that's true. It's it's really very major. The European, the Indo-European, including Indo-European, including Greek, including the Roman, including the the Gothic, including today Persia, including India. So all these uh, uh, herd holds of of, of of vast movement of manhood over the centuries. <laughs> from Central uh, Europe, from Central Asia, conquering Europe and creating today Europe nation, European nation, including Greek and, and Greek culture and, uh, and Roman culture, all it comes from the effort, a major power. Ham is uh, uh, Central Asia, he had his own time, he had, it, there was a time that he ruled the earth with, with Africa and Shem. Shem is the Semitic nations around the Middle East. So these are the 70 nations and um, the, this process actually took several generations between Noah and Abraham there were 10 generations. Noah lived through all these years to see them spreading. 
now, what was the what was the culture of the time? What was the business of the time of those generations? There was no war. There was actually time of peace, uh, according to the to description here in the Torah, because they had one language, one faith. Uh, all they they had no idolatries so much. Gradually, they forgot Noah, but at that time it was relatively peaceful time. We see when, when everything is going to change soon. At the time of Abraham, it was all corrupt already. But uh, at the beginning, at the time of Noah, after the flood, initially they were all united. But yet, they recognized the, the boundaries of those nations. That's very important. The acquisition of land that they just described, that's, that, that's, where, the two, that's where the nation of form. And they recognized the boundaries of each other. Nobody went out to, to build an empire. Uh, there were no empires. Everybody recognized the right of the other to live in his boundary. And, uh, and it, uh, uh, what was important here, and I put it here conceptually, the heavenly choir of the 70 angels of form. As the Zohar described it, this is a time that, you know, each nation is recognized in heaven by an angel. And if you recognize Egypt, or, or Babylonian, or Rome, or Greek, whatever, if you, if you are recognized in heaven by, by an angel, it means that the angel, heavenly court uh, recognizes as a nation. You have a right to stand. It doesn't matter if you if you're a righteous nation or not. The angel is is always righteous. But the angel can suffer a little bit if your nation goes down, because uh, in, in order to stand on on close to the throne, you have to be to feel, to fulfill all the seven commandments of law. If you lag behind, you your if you lag behind, your legs go down. One step for each commandment you violate. So if you violated, if your nation violated conceptually the seventh commandment of Noah, your angel goes down seven seven step. This is the heavenly choir. Uh, the, the the magnitude and the the, the power of the angel represents the power of the of the of the people. The, the the larger the nation is, the larger the angel is. So an angel can be very tall, but his legs are very low. Let's say Egypt at one time the pharaoh, his leg was a seven 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 step down below everybody else because so full of filth and, and superstitious and nobody violated, nobody uh, observed the seventh commandment, but he was huge angel, he actually was the tallest of all angels. So his shoulder was high, but his leg was deep, deep, deep down below the throne, so to speak. And the angel every morning they sing, they chant, holy, 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 uh, the, the Lord of glory, this is Isaiah, and the talk, we'll talk about it later on as we speak about Jacob and the, and the fight he had, he had with the angel. We'll come back to that heavenly choir. I just mention it here because this is where the Zohar depicts the, 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 the camp 
the angel, angelic camp or the choir that carry the throne on top of them. So this is a good time, so to speak. Uh, the humanity is still united and uh, and they carry the throne of Hashem on top of the shoulder, so to speak, at the beginning. Uh, with the new fascination of acquisition and ownership. As I said, this is a time they build, this is a time they plenty, they acquire land, they build cities, they build the uh, cultures. Uh, they still spoke one language until next class when we start to speak about, talk about the Babylonian Tower and what happened then, there. <coughs> now, let's continue with the story. So Noah the men of the ground began Vayichal uh, in Hebrew and he planted, so it doesn't say what he began he began and he planted the one year, like, like as if two things he began, stop and he planted, and he planted the one year and he drank the wine, and he was drunk and it was uncovered and within the within the tent. So first of all, why was Noah called the man of the ground? And what does it mean he began? Began what? <coughs> so what 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 what's the story about Noah? Um, uh, there are so many commentary here, uh, I'll just give you the the, the 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 feeling for that. Uh, some say he began farming. They're all connected. You see, in a minute, all this explanation are, are, are showing the same thing. He began farming. He introduced the first metal plow. We know that, remember, that his name Noah means pleasant. That's why his parents called him Noah, to, to, to make the work of the farmer more pleasant. So he melted Tubal's kind, his brother, uh, uh, brother-in-law weapons, metal weapons. Remember, Tubal invented metal, a certain metal alloy, and uh, in Noah took the same metal alloy and made plow, metal plow. So the future, all the futuristic of uh, uh, prophecy of uh, of uh, Israel, prophet of Israel that uh, that. Uh, uh, the weapon will be melted into plow. This is not what Noah did already. And why they call men of the ground? Here come Rashi of all, of all people. Now Rashi represents Judaism. So Rashi says that he was called a man of the ground. Adon, man is Adon, means the master, the owner. What the, what the inside Rashi had here? In just a few words, he said the whole thing. So by doing all, by plow, by form, by farming, by putting the plow, he became the master, he became the owner of the ground. That's why he's called the man of the ground. He's the owner, because ownership is now uh, the issue. Private ownership, so the first one to do it is Noah himself. Moreover, some say he began planting rolf wine, not just one rolf wine, it was a production of wine. Here again production, society, produce something, he became an owner of that wine. Now Noah began and he planted wine. There is another explanation of what he began. And that's extremely important here. You miss that, you miss the entire story. 
because in Hebrew Vayochal, Noach of saying, Noach Vayochal began is actually Vayochal is Chulin, is profane. So Noach profane, at the same time he began to plant his vineyard, he profaned the name of Hashem. Interestingly, so the question is how? What did he do to profane the name of Hashem? Interestingly, the, his, his grandfather, Enosh, if you remember when he was a child, he was learned by, he was taught by Enosh. And on Enosh he says uh, that in his, Enosh, in his, day, in, his, in, 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 in his time, in Enosh's time, they began calling the name of Hashem. You'll have Afke. Begin is also, we said, not only begin, but profane. That's why Noah, that's the whole issue, why Enosh profane the name of Hashem by calling Hashem alone, but forgetting about Elohim. So the same word that uh, was done, what was mentioned on Noah, on Enosh, he profane, he began, the Torah uses here for Noah. And that's not incidental at all, he also profane. What's the difference between those two giants? Enosh profane it by, by preaching, by logic, by being passionate for Hashem, he, he was sober. Noah profane uh, name of Hashem while being uh, drunk. So how did, it, what did actually Noah do to profane the name of Hashem? So the Zohar, again, the Zohar gave us a good insight and other also, he became depressed. He couldn't even drink water after the, you know, the flood haunting, haunting him so much <coughs> that he didn't even drink water. He was, he was looking for something else to drink. He couldn't put a, a, a drop of water in his mouth. So he chose wine. What haunted him more than anything else was the memories of the flood, uh, the, the cries of his family is dying. Uh, the, the whole tribulation that he had on his Mount Moriah when he, when he, when he offered his burnt offering, despite the Rainbow Covenant, uh, he was still haunting by those fears. So the wine being drunken actually served, it was, it, this was his escape from reality. So you can say profane the Holy Name by running away from reality. What haunted him more is uh, the past, the present, the sentiment, what he was not satisfied with his children, uh, the future depressed him, he saw where they are going, acquisition, acquisition, building, and they forgot about the teaching, gradually they forgot about him. Uh, and uh, life became painful for him. So, uh, trying to escape from his memories, from his tribulation, he became drunk and he was under, uncovered, all over on the ground. That's another reason why he called the man of the ground, because he was rolled over the ground. His lips touched the ground, his back was upward, he was naked. Where was it? Where did it happen? Within his actually her tent. The the Torah says her tent, and you read it his tent. So it was her tent. It was Nama tent. So 
why what was that it mean? Why was naked there on the ground? He couldn't have formed, as Zohar says, the marital relationship. Well, you know, you're drunk, you think you're, you're a big lion, but actually you, you fall on the ground, you can't do anything. So he was lying naked and drunk, frustrated, and who was there by him? Grandson Knan was by his side. Now the question is, what was grandson Knan doing in, in Nama's tent? Well, he, he was only a teenager at that time, so what he was doing in Nama's tent? Here comes the story. In fact, the, 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 the Torah actually called him the key for that is when later on, when he woke up, he said, the Torah says, he learned what his youngest son did. It. Now, and he cursed Knan. So he considered Knan as the youngest son. Why did he consider younger Knan, his grandson, as the youngest son? Because the following. <coughs> By the way, are you, are you with me or are you falling asleep? Before you, you with me? You hear me? Okay, good. Thank you. So, what it happened? Let's let's say thank you. So let's analyze what happened to to Knan. Why Knan was there in the tent with of Nama? That in the after the flood. Uh, Han was the first one to bear a, to to have a child, and he called him Knan. Uh, Knan actually means in Hebrew merchant. Again, like in the story of Cain, you know, when you have a first son born, you you give the the whole expectation what you want to your your the future, the brightest son to have. Uh, you express now he doesn't call him a, a kind like. Buy me a shame. He has no. The, the issue is not faith and, and, anymore. He doesn't mean. He doesn't want a shame to come more to the earth. The whole issue is now to build society and to trade and to. So he called him Knan Merchant. You know that the, the the people who make money are those who are the merchant. So they call him uh, Knan. They, they express what they want from that child to build society to be to move around and to, to, to be a merchant. Now, what, ha what, what, what happened to this child? So when the, the Zohar says that they, back in the, in, in the ark, while the, the flood was still raging outside, so Noah, uh, uh, Noah uh, actually uh, was wondering, would I ever have a grandson again? Uh, so while in the ark, Noah longed for a grandchild. So his son, Ham, promised him. He said, this is while the flood was still raging. He said, if I will ever have a son, I will give it to you, father, and you can raise it as your own son. So this was a very nice of Ham to do. And you will teach him only on one condition. You will teach him everything you both can tell, can teach him. And so it was. So after, after Knan was born, and he gave him, the, the father gave him the name Merchant Knan, so Noah and Nama took this grandchild and raised them in their tent as a child. This is why he was raised 
in Nama's tent. He was considered their own child, and both taught him everything they, they could. They could. Noach taught him his face, the foundation of faith, so the same way that Enosh had told him in his youth, you remember, he told him about creation, about the name of God, about the sixth day of creation, the Sea of the Galilee, all this uh, seventh day of creation, all that, and what happened in the flood, all these beautiful ideas the, the, the Noach taught him. Nama, on the other hand, taught him her trade. She taught him how to dance, to, to play music, poetry, and to how to perform like she used. Remember, she used to be a magical performance. She and her, and her twin, twin do, uh, sister. So Knan became a very talented boy. He absorbed everything that Nama and Noach taught him and became the best Hebrew poet ever. He excelled in music, art, and thinking, and he was very, very sensual. So, when now when Noah was rolling drunk and naked on the ground, while his lip was licking the ground, Knan, who lived in the Nama tent, was by his side. Now Knan then sexually violated him, Noah, in the most filthy and ugly fashion. Knan then ran out of the tent and crying, Father, come, see, see Noah on the ground. Ha, ha, ha. He made mockery out of, of, of Noah. So Ham, he heard the, the, the boy crying, shouting, so he, he went to the, to the mother tent and he saw his father rolling over, violated, but instead of covering his father, Ham ran out and called his two brothers, Shem and Yefet, for help. Shem was the one who took the initiative. He picked up a large square blanket and he and Yefet put on the, the blanket on the shoulder and they walked backward into the tent, inside the tent, the black blanket on their shoulder and they covered the father's nakedness without ever seeing him in his indignity. While Ham remained outside. So what did the brother do? They honored the father. The opposite of, of stealing, remember? Stealing is indignity, disrespectful here, they're honoring the father. Knan did the opposite. And he robbed uh, Noah dignity. Rape, actually, interesting, rape in the Torah is considered somewhere between murder and, and theft. That's a whole issue to discuss. Rape is a, is a theft of dignity and close to murder. And that's what he did to, to his grandfather. So this, the, 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 up, the epitome, the worst thing they can do uh, for, for is a stealing. So Noah walked from, his, from, from, from theft, I mean. Noah walked from his wine and knew what his youngest son, now you know the youngest son is Knan. And he said, curse be Knan, a slave for his slave be for his brother. Now, in a society that cherish ownership, a slave is the lowest social level, and a slave of a slave is even lower. Now, Noah doesn't mean to abduct here. Slavery, a person can sell himself for slavery. That's a whole issue. One day we'll discuss slavery on the Torah, 
a person, let's say in Jewish law, can sell himself when he's poor and has no dignity and he own money, that's a way to get out of it and to regain his dignity is to be a slave. So that's what he meant. You will be so, so indignated, you will be so down that you will be a slave of a slave to pay your dues. So he put him down in this in in his in this new society level of uh, of fetish or, or or royalty. He put him as the lowest possible, as a as slavery. We'll see all that will play a role later on with Abraham. And and he said uh, Noach now continued to speak and he said, "Blessed be Hashem, the Elohim of Shem." That's understood. Hashem, Elohim. Blessed be Hashem, the Elohim of Shem. And Knaan shall be his slave, I mean he will sell himself to to Shem. Um, and also he meant here that uh, he gave the permission, uh, we'll see in a minute, that's maybe next line. And he continued to say to the famous words, let, uh, let Hashem beautify Yefet, in Hebrew it rhymes, Hashem leyefet. In Hebrew, it's beautiful rhyme, but in English it comes out like, let Elohim beautify yefet. You make yefet beauty. And that's true, you know, Greek, Roman, you know, the European beauty. Beauty of the mind, beauty of the art, beauty, it's, it's beautiful cultures. And let him dwell, in, but let him, Hashem, dwell, the Shekhinah. Uh, in the tent of Shem. So he, 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 Elohim will beautify all humanity, but particularly Yefet. But the Shekhinah, we are, remember we started, where is Shekhinah? Who is going to be honored to, to keep the Shekhinah in, in Mount Moriah? This is Shem. This is indeed why Shem later on he goes, he goes and he builds the first Torah academy in Jerusalem and his name is Malki Tzedek, the king of Shalem that Noach later on, that Abraham later on talked to. So Shem is, is, is here, is giving the ownership of, of Mount Moriah, of, of, of the Shekhinah and that's where he's, he's going to go, end up living for, for many many years in his Torah academy. And let Canaan be slave to him too. And he says, let uh, uh, Yefet dwell in, in the Shem's tent. Uh, that, uh, that's another explanation. That's, uh, either you say, look, uh, let Hashem dwell in, Yef, in, in, Yef, in, in Shem, or let Yefet dwell in Hashem. I think, uh, let's stick to the first one. The second explanation is as if Yefet is going to dwell in Hashem, in, Yefet, in Shem's tent and is specifically referring to, to the Koresh, the Persian king uh, who authorized the building of the second temple. But uh, I think the, 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 most, uh, the most authorized, the most makes sense uh, explanation uh, is the first one that, uh, uh, that Hashem will dwell in, in Shem, Shem tent means that he will own Mount Moriah. And Noah lived after the flood 
300 years and 50 years and all the way, all, all the day of Noah were 915 years and, and he died. When he died, he joined the heavenly choir and he became, so to speak, the, the conductor of the choir according to, to many sources. So uh, he's still there uh, conducting the, the, the 70, 70 nations and he hoped that all of them will, will come to his level to stand on, his, on the same seven commandment level. So um, Noah remained spiritual irrelevant for the rest of his life. He never, he never, he never recovered from that that terrible event with a, with a, uh, with Knan. He became uh, uh, castrated, spiritually castrated, and also physically castrated. He never had a relationship with his wife again. The Talmud says, after that ugly experience, and he was spiritually castrated. He was, he, he became no one. Everybody ignored him. Um, and uh, he saw there are only two events that he can still play a role. There are two important events that we're going to meet him again, Noah, in the story of Nimrod, the tyrant in the Babylonian Tower. You will see that he and Nama play a major role in, in the development of Nimrod, the, tire, the tyrant. And then, uh, when, before he passed away, a ten, ten generation after him he saw Abraham when when Abraham was exactly 58 years old and it's come out uh, people really wrote down the, the, the line and they said it's true <coughs> and Noach in Hebrew Nun Chet is actually 58 it's amazing how Noach 58 came out exactly like the, the this was the age of Abraham when he met Noah, because Abraham came to his face, recognized Hashem on his own right. He, we'll talk about it when he come to Abraham, and Abraham became like the remedy of of the of the theft. Anything that uh, corrupted there in the theft, in abduction, slavery, Abraham is going to restore. Try to restore. Abraham took the Adon. They are done, the master of slave, and made it Adonai, Adonai, my master. That's the source of Adonai, my master. Uh, now, Noah uh, taught Abraham all the seven commandments, of course. Abraham later added, it was added to Abraham number eight, the circumcision, uh, which is, we will correct, correct on force, uh, number four. So e every time you add, a new commandment actually enforce one of the previous ones after Noah. Adam also learned from Shem in Jerusalem Academy. Yeah, he, uh, when he came to when he finally moved to the land of Israel he met Malki Tzedek and he called him my high priest. He learned in Shem by, by Shem. Actually Jacob spent sixteen or fourteen years fourteen years in Shem Yeshiva. Jacob, so even Abraham's grandson still saw shame. Why they lived so long, you remember, they had a tree of life in them. Enosh, uh, Enosh gave the tree of life to, to Noah, Noah gave the tree of life to shame. Shame 
actually inherited later on through Abraham down to to, to Moses. Moses took the tree of life, put it in the Torah that he wrote, no, Israel has a tree of life as long as they keep the Torah. So in summary, <coughs> this is a story of dignity, of ownership, or indignity. So I don't know, I, hear, I see some people still here. Uh, do you hear me now? I uh, just want to say hello, okay, I'm sorry about, I don't know what happened, uh, some, suddenly my, uh, I was kicked off on the internet, I don't know why. Anyhow, uh, I think we got the message, and we'll talk about the Noach Talit maybe next time, uh, at the prayer shawl, and this is, this is, the, this is the source of, of all that, the prayer shawl, this is what it signifies. And we'll see you next week. We'll continue with Hashem help with the story of Babylonian Tower. I will. I would urge you, each one of you, to to prepare. Prepare yourself. Read about the Babylonian Tower. Read whatever you can. So prepare yourself with every commentary you can. So we can. The, the class will be very fruitful for you once you know more and you read ahead of time. Any question for me? Okay, thanks again, and uh, thank you for being with me, and I'll see you next week. Have a nice weekend. Bye.